Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, into episode 20, the big 2-0 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. I'm Tony Puglisi, alongside my wonderful co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer, here to bring you all the baseball news that was, is, and will be. Which, granted, that will be section, it's starting to look like the regular season, but we will cross that bridge when we cross that bridge. This show, by the way, is brought to you by two people who are feeling particularly grateful this week, and why is that, you may ask? Because, ladies Ladies and gentlemen, we have hit 500 listens in less than 20 episodes. Tom, I think I speak for the both of us when I say thank you so, 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 so much to each and every one of you who take the time out of your day to tune in and listen to us. It really means the world. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Tony. Thank you so much to everybody for listening, even if you listened once or you're just listening to the first ep- your first episode of the Diamond Duo podcast now. Thank you so much for picking up your phone, your laptop, driving in the car. However you like listening to us, please keep it coming. We really, really do appreciate it. We want to keep building our content, growing the podcast to its highest limits we can possibly go, and all the listens definitely support that. Thank you so much. I'm very happy that we've even reached 500 listens, let alone 50 listens. I don't even know if that would even be attainable at one point, Tony, but... Here we are, March 28th, that's when we're recording this, by the way, around 7.40pm. I'm glad we crossed that 500 listener plateau in a relatively short period of time. We haven't even gone over more than a month of a regular season in the length of this podcast's history. Hell, the lockout was longer than how long we've covered the season, I'm pretty sure. I was literally about to say, like, with all the dark clouds that seem to be, you know, forming over baseball and over... Just the sport as a whole, you know, in the last month, the lockout, uh, there were teams who we were worried were going to do worse in the offseason than they actually did, or better, (laughs) New York Yankees, we'll talk about that later, (laughs) but Tom, no, life is good right now, the regular season starts up next week, we just hit 500 listeners, and we still have plenty of baseball to talk about this week, and obviously in the weeks to come so let's say uh well actually before we do that one more disclaimer we really really appreciate you all listening to us right now but you know we'd appreciate even more following us on social media we are at diamond duo pod on twitter we are the diamond duo podcast on instagram uh and with the regular season starting up folks our social media is about to go buck wild we're going to be posting graphics of players who are performing better than people think. We're going to be posting VODs from the show, uh, excuse me, uh, voice recordings from the show. I can't speak today. <laughs> um, social media with baseball back is just infinitely better than social media when baseball is not here. So definitely go give us a follow. We'd really, really appreciate it. And actually, one more quick scheduling note that I almost forgot about with the regular season coming back. Longtime listeners of the pod will know that when we first hit the scene, we were a weekly show. We put out an episode every single week, and we hit that benchmark for, like Tom said, the whole month of the regular season uh, we were around for, at least for now. Off-season, we switched that just so we didn't have to come up with new stuff every single week in a <laughs> in a prospective lockout. That would have been impossible. <laughs> it nearly um, was impossible because we were scraping for content for at least... Like, probably two of our episodes that we didn't, out of, like, the six during the lockout. Thank God for the how after they scale. That saved our ass twice. <laughs> and the Hall of Fame. That did, too. Thank for that. <laughs> but with the return of the regular season, so, too, will return the weekly 
upload. We're going to be working back into a, a more consistent form. We're going to try and pick out one day to upload uh, new episodes. Might be some growing pains, you know, we're just getting back into the swing of things, but you'll be getting episodes once a week, folks. Get excited, because we sure as hell are. Oh, did you want me to, did you want me to speak, like, now? Or was that, like, a throw? No. Or, <laughs> I have no I, idea I, well, what that I was. was. <laughs> I I didn't know if you were gonna, like, intro the next segment, because I feel like I've been talking a lot to start the episode. If, if you want me to open the major headlines, it's fine. I mean... It all take major headlines right now. Let's just delve right into it. Let's start with them because we've got a couple to go over before we finish off the laundry list of free agency and other transactional moves that have happened over the course of the past two weeks. Also, shout out to Freddie Freeman. That mother. So here's the story behind that. I don't even remember the exact date he signed with the Dodgers, but we literally hit schedule episode. I'm pretty sure like a couple minutes before midnight. Literally five minutes, I am not joking, five minutes, because I counted after we hit schedule <laughs> to post, all of our editing was done, Freddie Freeman signed officially with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Thank you so much for giving us a headache, Freddie Freeman. Thank you so much for that. Just for that, I should burn the Braves jersey I bought of you in the offseason. I'm not going to do that. Because you're still a very good person. But that was just a headache. We knew something like that would happen. But uh, we'll talk about <laughs> transactions like that uh, <laughs> in just a little Freddy, bit. Freddie, you mother uh, You're a good person anyway. You're, you're fine. <laughs> I'm not going to burn your jersey. <laughs> like, what made that even better is I went in. Those of you who listened to the last episode, I had to do Editor Tony for the first time to talk about, I think it was Matt Olson, Kyle Schwarber, and Anthony Rizzo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Freddie Freeman goes up, like, right as I'm about to hit schedule, like Tom says, and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, I'm not going back in. We can talk about this next episode. It's a big signing anyway. We want to give it the time it deserves. I'm leaving this. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Like, how close are you to being done? I'm done. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I had just gotten back from work, so I certainly wasn't going to go in and edit anything, because uh, that was midnight. <laughs> so, no. I did. Jesus. That did make me lose some sleep that night, though, because I stood up, I stayed up for like the next hour contemplating my life's decisions leading up to that point. And it all started with the thought <laughs> of Fre Freddie Freeman being a Los Angeles Dodger. Um, but, again, we'll talk about stuff like that in a little bit. Let it, let's talk about the first piece of news that we've got, and it's actually one of the most recent pieces of news over the past two weeks, and it technically is a transaction, so maybe we could have talked about it in our next segment, but we're going to talk about it to start with. And we actually aren't going to start what I was about to say. Hey everyone, Editor Tom here. Tony and I previously discussed Ketel Marte's five-year $76 million extension with the Arizona Diamondbacks in this part of the episode. However, due to time restraints and looking back on how we organized the episode, we've decided to cut this topic out of the show. But I will summarize our discussion. So we started things off by calling Ketel a poor unfortunate soul for having to endure the lack of talent around him currently at the moment. Then we shared a laugh after realizing he'll make about three times more than Ozzy Albies currently is with his very cheap contract with the Braves. And finally, we ended things off by discussing Arizona's plans to possibly use him exclusively in the infield for the future rather than playing some outfield as well. So that's about it from that discussion. Now back to the episode. All right, let's move on. We've got some bittersweet news on the docket now as Andrew Miller is going to be retiring. Now, as Tony put in the rundown here, he revolutionized relieving 
He has a career ERA of 100, or an ERA plus of 107. Postseason Warrior, a 0.93 ERA in 29 postseason games. Really damn good, if you couldn't tell. One of the best postseason relievers of all time. I'll get to more on that in a minute. Also, a union heavyweight. Literally was one of their top negotiators this year. Set a good deal for the players of now and in the future. And then he packed up his bags. And now, or maybe not, maybe he stayed in sunny Florida. And he is retiring. I'll just start with Andrew Miller, and I want to really point out that, again, .93 ERA in the postseason, and he revolutionized relieving. So if you don't remember the 2016 postseason, um, he was with the Cleveland then-Indians, and he was Terry Francona's favorite reliever to be used that season. He was picked up by them at the trade deadline. That was the deal that sent Clint Frazier to the Yankees with other players that didn't pan out for the Yankees. Just had to throw shade there. Uh, More Yankee talk, by the way, coming up later in the show. And pretty much what Francona did was he would use Andrew Miller in literally any situation outside of starting and throw him for multitude or multiple innings at a time. And this dude would just mosey on through whatever lineup he was dealt with. But at any rate, that's really when I at least started seeing relievers having more use in the postseason as compared to a starter to rely upon going five plus innings. Now it's rare to even see that in the regular season, let alone the postseason. And that's really where Andrew Miller makes his mark in revolutionizing the game of baseball. It wasn't just Andrew Miller, but he was certainly a big chunk of that. And that's all I got to say about Andrew Miller. Damn good guy. A really, really good player. He's not going to be a Hall of Fame type player. The beginning of his career was a little bit rocky. But yeah, Andrew Miller, damn good reliever. If there was an all-decades team for the MLB, he would be first ballot all-decade team of the 2010s as a relief pitcher. That's my two cents on Andrew Miller. Tony, you're up. Oh yeah, you definitely hit all the big points, especially with that postseason repertoire. Like, if y'all remember in the 2019 postseason, when Davey Martinez would take Patrick Corbin out of the bullpen after he started struggling in the starting rotation, and Corbin would go. He'd go, uh, you know, three, four, even five innings. Now, granted, that's not un- that's not as unorthodox, rather, for a guy of Corbin's endurance, let's call it. The guy is a starter. He can go deep into games. But if Miller doesn't do what he did in 2016, or rather if Francona doesn't use Miller like that, it's probably seen as taboo. It's probably seen as unstrategic and overall a bad move. So revolutionizing revol- uh, revolutionizing revolution, that's exactly what he did. Revolutionizing relief pitching is certainly what he did. He was great throughout the 2010s. He was a great, like Tom said earlier, delegate in the uh, Players Union. Like, if that doesn't speak to the kind of character Andrew Miller has, he fought tooth and nail for players 10, 15 years his junior for the chance to you know, make it in the show, fulfill their childhood dreams, and when it was all said and done, he left. He didn't even get a chance to play in these in this new CBA that he helped barter. So, I don't know Andrew Miller personally, it'd be cool, but I don't know him. But I feel like that's a really good testament to his character, just an all-around great guy and an even better baseball player. So, Andrew Miller, we wish you nothing but the best in your retirement, and congrats on a fantastic career. Now... I I do kind of hate that we put these two topics back to back in major headlines because we're going from, as Tom called it earlier, a bittersweet story, you know, celebrating Andrew Miller (laughs) to revisiting a rule change that definitely should have died in 
this year's CBA. So when Tom and I first went over the new CBA, we celebrated a few potential rule changes that could be implemented. One of them was the removal of the Ghost Runner, or as it is more colloquially known, that piece of sh rule Manfred put in to start a runner at second and expedite pace of play. Yeah, uh, it's back now. It's back for some reason. Uh, apparently a good number of players actually like it because it does prevent them from going, uh, you know, too deep into games. You're not playing games in the 17th, 18th inning, which, you know, game four of the 2018 World Series comes to mind where they literally played two full games of baseball only for the Dodgers to win. But I'll go over how I think the ghost runner rule should be implemented in a minute. But Tom, I kind of want to get your sense on this because you're the one that literally ran a Twitter thread <laughs> detailing every time this rule came into effect, how much it sucked. And I, like, not that I don't know about this rule. Trust me, I've bitched and moaned about this rule plenty in the 2020, 2021 seasons. But I want to get your take on this because we were both very, very happy to see this rule die. And now it's back like a zombie out of the ground. What do you think? You know, I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I'm going to say it again. I'm even going to move into the mic and state it really, um, make a major statement. I don't even know the words to describe it, but I'm going to move into the mic and try and talk really sternly with as deep a voice as I possibly can to give you my thoughts on a possible return of a Twitter thread. It ain't gonna f happen. No shot in hell. I'm not going through the suffering and torture that was the Ghost Runner rule on Twitter anymore. Alright, back to normal Tom voice. Yeah, this rule's a piece of <laughs> Now, again, what were you going to say, Tony? I was just going to say, I had no idea where you were going with that, and if you were actually going to talk deep into the mic, but okay. I was going to make a don't belch again joke, but we don't even know if that's staying in the show, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if that didn't say in the show, um, long story short, um, I was saying Andrew Lee, no, not Andrew Relievers, Andrew Miller's postseason ERA, <laughs> and I let out a loud burp into the mic um, as I was doing it, and we were cracking up for like a minute straight. But at any rate, um, where was I? Oh, yes, the return of the Ghost Runner. So, Tony, what you were saying does have a point. Some players were favoring this rule, and that, I think, really goes into effect when you consider that this regular season is already being pushed back and the spring training isn't going to be nearly as long because of the lockout. And this was actually a concern not only of the players, but also managers and coaches in baseball um, that saying players' arms and stamina might not be quite ready yet for the regular season again because of the lockout. Thank you, Rob Manfred and the uh, MLB owners again for that. But, um, I mean, they do have a point. In 2020, I was okay with this because it's a shortened season already. That's really understandable. We had to endure a full season of this rule last year, again, because the timing and stuff was a little bit wonky with COVID. And I guess I can make an exception in the name of another shortened offseason this year. I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm sure as hell, again, not starting a Twitter thread about it. I will probably make some very angry tweets on Twitter about it, but that is as far as I will go with the Ghost Runner. I just simply hate the Ghost Runner. I hate it as much as shifts when you have four people on one side of the infield or four people in the outfield. It's a game integrity issue through my eyes, but 
it is what it is. Again, short in season. I'm I understand where they're coming with it. And again, this should only be for this season. But then again, we thought that last season and it's making a return now. So who knows? In 2023, we could be starting with bases loaded in extra innings because randomly things just like to be changed in baseball nowadays. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I really don't know anyone who likes the rule. My one idea that I think could make the Ghost Runner work is if they implemented it later. I, not later in terms of a couple of years. I mean later in the game. Like don't put the don't put the runner on second in the tenth inning. Give them a chance to you know score naturally or hit a walk off home run. Just wait till like the thirteenth or the twelfth. Like, to the point where if you were a fan at a baseball game, that when you start to look at your watch and you go, all right, it's getting ridiculous now. I would say the 12th inning is a fair, you know, like, now the game's getting too long, we're approaching, you know, it's it's going to be four hours soon. No one sane is watching it on TV anymore. I say no one sane because I'd still be watching it. <laughs> and I'm not sane. So, <laughs> that's my way of, or rather, that's my one suggestion. suggestion. I really can't talk today. As to how the rule could work, or at least be implemented better, but I don't know. It's not like we could do anything about it. Uh, maybe, maybe it'll go over even worse this year, and uh, we'll see it removed in the future. Who knows? But enough about that. We need some more good news in here, and this news is less. Or actually, it's kind of bittersweet, but I think it's more so the sweet portion. Uh, that's a weird sentence. Remind me to never say that again. <laughs> yeah, I would also like to point out the way we structured it. Uh, we went from like an extension, which is kind of depressing because it's the Arizona Diamondbacks, to bittersweet, to <laughs> real depression, back to bittersweet. So we're kind of playing with everyone's emotions right now. And I, I kind of like doing it. I kind of feel like a supervillain when I'm doing it. I like psychological warfare like this. Supervillain? Ah, uh, yes. I'll talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks to him. How <laughs> maniacal of me. Actually, that is pretty f- maniacal i don't know any diamondbacks fans but if i did i feel like they'd agree with me i pl- in the state of the team i played for the a uh arizona diamondbacks you played team for the arizona diamondbacks yeah in little league i played for a diamondbacks oh. team and i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure we would have been we'd be better than the team they're putting out on paper nowadays probably not because we were like 10 and we couldn't hit the ball probably out of like more than 200 feet but you get my picture i'm just shitting on the diamondbacks at this rate but your full-time catcher isn't Carson Kelly, so you'd probably be at least competitive. <laughs> I don't know why Carson Kelly's the one I decided to call out there, but and nevertheless, this isn't about the Diamondbacks. This is about another National League team, a better National League team, in the St. Louis Cardinals, and their recent signing of franchise icon Albert Pujols. This actually happened late last night, last night being March 27th. Pujols was signed to a one-year million deal with incentives. Uh, I believe, I don't have the tweet pulled up right now. I believe Passan or Heyman or somebody tweeted it. He could make up to like $6 million in incentives this year, if uh, memory serves. But uh, not only will Pujols be returning to St. Louis, he'll be returning to St. Louis alongside Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, who were there to begin with, obviously, in their last tour of duty, Wainwright and Yadi. But On top of that, that's not the end of the story. This is the bittersweet part of it. Albert announced today, March 28th, that this would be his last ride in Major League Baseball. This would be his last season. Him, Wayno, and Yachty are going to get a last dance ending. And come, you know, the end of the season, the end of this regular season, everybody who grew up watching baseball the same time me and Tom did are going to feel very, very, very old. (laughs) So... 
Tom, would you like to say a few words about this signing that I think everyone in the baseball landscape can agree needed to happen? Like, even if you're a Cubs fan, you were rooting for the Cardinals to sign Pujols. This is a universal acclaim move, Tony. Who wouldn't want to see Albert Pujols, Wayno, and Yachty going out all together? This is possibly the best offseason news that has happened. So yeah, Albert on the Cardinals, one of the first true superstars I was introduced to as a kid. Dude went on a terror roll, was one of the, still is, in my mind, one of the greatest baseball players and pure hitters of all time. So of course, he fell off uh, once he started uh, playing for the Los Angeles Angels, like all other good players do, such as Josh Hamilton. But that doesn't take away anything Albert Pujols has done over the course of his career and, of course, as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, this is the really fun part I would love to see. Albert Pujols currently has 679 career home runs. Now, he shouldn't be a primary player for them because they obviously have Paul Goldschmidt, and I doubt Albert Pujols could play shortstop third base or left field like he could back when he was really, really young any rate, maybe he'll DH now that they have DH. That would be great to see. But my main point is he's 21 home runs away from number 700, which has only been accomplished by not even a handful of players in MLB history. And it would be great to see Albert Pujols cross that 700 home run plateau. So I think somebody did the math. Last season, he averaged a home run every every 20 plate appearances. So that means it would take him around 430-ish plate appearances for Albert Pujols to reach that mark of 700. Will he get that much? Probably not. Um, will he reach 700? I'd surely like to hope so, but um, I don't think that's going to be in the works. Now, this is why I want to talk about with the Cardinals, or rather, one more thing on Albert Pujols. He always said he wanted it to be a dream that he and Yachty could go into the Hall of Fame together, and now that they're retiring in the same year, that very, very well could happen five or six years from now in the future when their first ballot um when they'll be on the ballot for the first time so that would be very cool to see as well also real quickly i wanted to say the cardinals world series odds should be boosted i don't know what they are right now but i'd say they're going to be boosted to one of the top teams in baseball because i would love to see them win a world series this year for those three guys alone and who knows maybe the cardinals will make moves around them to uh, hopefully get them that ring. They are relatively good enough to make a run in the postseason after all. Funny enough, that's kind of where I wanted to take the conversation next, because folks, this is more than just a sentimental, like, oh, Albert is coming home, he's going to sit in the dugout and root, root, root for the team, and he's going to basically be a coach. He could still kind of get it. I mean, he's obviously not what he once was, but I'd argue he's not what he was on the Angels. I mean, let's just look at his splits from last year. He played... Uh, 24 games with the Angels, so albeit a smaller sample size, OPS plus of 67 with a slugging percentage of 372. That's not going to get you to 700 home runs. Cue the uh, pickup by the Dodgers, plays 85 games, and maintains an OPS plus of 101. That's league average. That's not, you know, when people think of the Albert Pujols contract, you think of, oh man, it's such a shame how he fell off. He became a bad player after that. If he could still put up that, you know, 100 to 110 110 is probably a little high, but let's say 100 to 105 OPS plus, maybe a little bit lower. He's still going to be a very serviceable bat off the bench for St. Louis. Like, there's a DH now. You could plop him in that role every couple days. If you ever want to give Goldie a break at first, make him, you know, the DH or just give him a day off, you got Albert there. 
So this is a lot more than just, you know, we're bringing him home for one last ride. This is going to be, hey, he's back for one last ride, but he's also going to do his best to help us win. He's still arguably one of the greatest right-handed bats ever. Like me personally, off the top of my head, I'd go Aaron, Mays, then Pujols. I'm probably missing someone, but I think that's a pretty respectable list. And considering Pujols' accolades, he's got 99.6 career war. Here's hoping he gets to 100 this year, but definitely, I think, a Class A move by the Cardinals. This is, you know that meme, everybody liked that? That's literally what this feels like. Even fans who don't like the Cardinals love Albert Pujols. So, great move on that. Really looking forward to seeing this storyline unfold this year. But with that being said, Tom, why don't we take this transaction and move into the remaining transactions that transpired since we recorded the last episode. Now, a couple quick notes. Uh, some of these that are going to be on here, Editor Tony uh, threw in the last episode. For instance, we are going to talk about the Matt Olson extension. Uh, and another note, we're going to be doing this the same format we did last time, which, if you don't remember, Tom wrote up a whole big list of all the transactions that have happened since then. We might have missed one or two, but these are all the really significant ones anyway, including a bonus one that happened literally five minutes before we hit record. <laughs> and we can't wait to talk about that one. We're just going to go back and forth, say five or so at a time, and then at the very end, when we get to the bottom of the list, we are going to highlight some of the most important extensions and trades. Tom, anything you want to add before we get this little segment underway? I don't really think so. Let's play ball. Let's get right into this. Hell yeah. So without further ado, I'll kick us off this time around. I believe it was you, Tom, that let us off last time. I might be wrong. Well, you could but... be wrong, but I don't remember. So I'll just let you take the reins, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. It Sounds good. So starting from after we recorded, the first deal that we noted, or rather that Tom noted, was... Get ready, folks. This is a big one. The Pittsburgh Pirates have their first baseman. Daniel Vogelback is going to play in Pittsburgh. He's got a one-year, $1.1 million contract. Okay, but here's the real first baseman deal. Uh, Matt Olson, like I said earlier, was extended by the Atlanta Braves. Eight years, $168 million. Alex Anthopoulos is a mad genius and you cannot convince me otherwise we're definitely going to talk about this one later uh oh and speaking of alex anthopolis is a mad genius colin McHugh is also going to atlanta to pitch out of their already insanely good bullpen two years 10 million dollars with a six million dollar club option for that third year another one that editor tony went over and just feels thrilled to have to relive again uh <laughs> anthony rizzo is going back to the new york yankees Two years, 32. They really gave him $32 million. Okay, I forgot it was that high. He also has a one-year opt-out in that deal. This is a big one on the international stage, and then I'm going to hand it over to Tom. Seiya Suzuki, highly touted Japanese uh, outfielder, is going to be playing with the Chicago Cubs for five years at an $85 million price tag. So, very interested to see how he transitions over, considering the lackluster transition of Shogo Akiyama to the division rival Cincinnati Reds. But we'll talk more about the Reds later. Tom, for the time being, take it away. Absolutely, and now we've got our first trade to announce of this hot stove segment on the Diamond Duo podcast, and that was Matt Chapman going to the Toronto Blue Jays for a hall of prospects, including right-handed pitcher Gunnar Hogland, shortstop Kevin Smith, left-handed starting pitcher Zach Luge, Luge, I didn't write down pronunciation guides on this, and also left-handed relief pitcher Kirby Sneed. According to Jeff Passan, all prospects are MLB ready. 
So a very good haul for Oakland as they enter a rebuild. Everything may be on fire out there, but at least they have some prospects to build a newly somewhat competitive team with, but a team that still won't even come sniffing close to the World Series in like five years' time. Uh, speaking of moves that uh, editor Tony talked about in our last episode, Kyle Schwarber to the Philadelphia Phillies, four years, $79 million. The Phillies were not done, though, um, because we'll be talking about them again later in the show. Eddie Rosario, speaking of Braves deals, he returns to the ATL for two years, $18 million, a third-year club option at $9 million. A really good return for the Atlanta Braves, getting Eddie Rosario back, one of their postseason heroes in their triumphant World Series run in 2021. Next up, a hefty lefty heading to Detroit. Two years and $13 million goes to Andrew Chafin. Pitched really, really well last year and certainly earned his stripes with that contract. Uh, Detroit's got a good one in their bullpen now. And another Atlanta deal that this one's really not too significant, but who knows? Alex Dickerson, a one-year non-guaranteed deal with the Atlanta Braves. Folks, are you ready to hear about the most pointless trade in MLB history? Because I really don't know what either side was thinking. Amir Garrett is going to the Kansas City Royals. In return, the Cincinnati Reds are getting Mike Miner and Cash. They must have really, really liked that Cash. Uh, I could clown about this deal all day. I don't know why it happened. But speaking of Kansas City, we kind of have an Albert Pujols light situation involving another future Hall of Famer. Zach Greinke is going to is going back to where it all started. He's going to Kansas City one year and thirteen million dollars, and he could earn two uh two million more with incentives. Definitely a nice sentimental move there. Uh, along with actually in improving the rotation, he's definitely going to be the ace of the staff. Uh, smaller move on the New York Mets part, New, uh, New York Yankees legend Jason Shreve is going to the Big Apple, but this time to Queens to pitch at City Field for one year. One of the bigger free agent signings, but also one of the biggest question mark free agent signings. This is one we're definitely going over. Chris Bryant, after we clowned the sh- out of, huh, he's not going to go to Colorado. He wants to win. Yeah, he went to Colorado, all right, for seven years and $182 million with a no trade clause. He's playing there a year and a half before he waves it, but we'll go there later. Uh, Chuck Peterson now, former Dodger, is going to go play for the San Francisco Giants. Definitely a much needed bat in that outfield with the departure of Chris Bryant. He'll play there for one year at $6 million. So I alluded to this move in the beginning of the episode, but Freddie Freeman goes back home to Los Angeles to sign with the Dodgers six years, $162 million. Again, less than five minutes after we hit post on our last episode, he decided to sign. The real question here, though, is do the Dodgers have the greatest batting order or greatest lineup of all time? You can make that discussion, surely, because of their balance and skill that they have in that lineup. But we'll probably be talking a little bit more about this deal in depth pretty soon. So I will move on. Jonathan VR is going to the Chicago Cubs one year, $6 million to uh, not really cap off their offseason because they did make some other moves in there. But they're actually an under the radar winner, I think, this offseason. And Jonathan VR is a reason why. Uh, Archie Bradley is going to join the suffering out in Los Angeles with the Angels one year, nearly $4 million. Ryan Tapera 
the MVP candidate from 2020, who accidentally got an MVP vote. If you don't know that story, go look it up. He's also signing with the Angels. Two years, $14 million. Honestly, good pickups by the Los Angeles Angels. Also, another reliever uh, off the market was Michael Givens to the Chicago Cubs. Again, the Cubs making a winning move here. One year, $5 million with incentives. Tom, man, I hate to call you out, but you missed one. Above Freddie Freeman, the GOAT himself. Oh my god, Matt... how, can I, how can I forget about Dude. Matt Duffy with the Angels one-year deal? Woo! They're winning the World <laughs> Series now. They got Matt Duffy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh. You started that segment off like, oh, I alluded to this earlier. I'm like, when did you talk about Matt Duffy? Then <laughs> <laughs> you said Freddie. I'm like, oh, you just forgot. Yeah. You just forgot Oops. about the greatest baseball player of this side of the Mississippi. I mean, he might round out that rotation if, you know, the pitching could actually keep him afloat. But that's not important. Yeah, Matt Duffy. Matt Duffy <laughs> will round out the rotation. He's an infielder. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. I said he'll round it. Wait, did I say rotation? Yes, you did. I thought I said lineup. Oh, my God. No, you said yeah. rotation. Well, I'm stupid. What can I tell you? <laughs> uh, speaking of stupid, the Yankees <laughs> did one of those when they traded Luke Voigt. Yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat this one. Uh, he went to the Padres for a pitcher in low A ball with control issues. And mind you, the Yankees are as good at developing pitchers as I am at developing nuclear warheads in that not at all. On a brighter note, uh, the Atlanta Braves, holy sh**, their bullpen looks amazing. They signed Kenley Jansen for one year at $16 million, kind of a, you know, a counterpunch to the Dodgers saying, heh we took Freddie Freeman, what are you gonna do? Well, I guess we'll take the greatest closer in your franchise's history. And it gives Atlanta easily the best bullpen in baseball. Don't at me. It's true. Uh, another smaller move over in Detroit. Michael Pineda, another Yankees legend, going there for one year, $5.5 million. Him and his pine tar. Uh, he's also got $2.5 million. He could earn an incentives, possibly to not use pine tar. Another bullpen arm on the move. Hansel Robles is going to Boston. Uh, I believe he... Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't he in Boston? Last year, wasn't he traded from the Twins to the Red Sox late last year? That sounds familiar, but honestly, I didn't remember that when I saw the tweet uh, that he signed with Boston, so I couldn't tell you, to be honest. I am not. I don't even feel bothered to check baseball reference. It's Hansel Robles. <laughs> I was going to say, either way, he's either returning to Boston or he's going there. Welcome to Boston. Hansel, you'll be a part of that mess that is the Red Sox bullpen, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about my favorite move of the offseason. Tom, I know I'm speaking for you when I say this too. Oh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia is going to experience numerous deep drives to left, as Big Dick Nick himself is going to be a Philadelphia Philly for the next five years at $100 million, because that Dave Dombrowski got asked, hey, could your defense get worse? And he said, watch me. <laughs> Um, pick it up with actually another pretty big deal, if I don't say, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of deals we're going to be talking about, Carlos Correa. Now, in the beginning of the offseason, if anybody put on their bingo card that he was going to go to the Minnesota Twins, yeah, I would have bet a slap in the face um, that that would not happen. But um, things that I didn't think would happen with the Oscars, speaking of local events, uh, Will Smith uh, slapping Chris Rock? Well, this is kind of a slap in the face here when he signed with the Minnesota Twins. I, I was literally about to say, okay, Chris Rock, but I'm like, is that gonna be dated? It's like, nah, it's Twitter. It's not gonna be dated in, like, three days max. 
no, two days. Not at all. This is going to be an all-time internet meme, I feel. Anyway, Carlos Correa, <laughs> three years, $105 million. And of course, because it's the Twins, he's got opt-outs after the first two seasons of that deal. I'm going to give a slow round of applause to the New York Yankees for setting this deal up with the Josh Donaldson trade not too long ago and clearing $50 million off of the Minnesota Twins budget going forward. So great job, New York. Um, but more on that later. Speaking of Cubs moves, I'm, I guess I'm going to be restating them all. Drew Smiley signed with the Cubs. A nice move by the Miami Marlins. They picked up Jorge Soler for three years and $36 million. And like Carlos Correa, he's got opt-outs after the first two seasons there if he doesn't want to suffer in Miami for very long. A good addition to their bat there. They've made some nice surrounding moves. They just don't have any true stars out there yet. Um, Speaking of stars, though, Trevor Story to Boston. Six years, $140 million, and we're on the opt-out train. Woo-woo! He's got one after year four. A really nice move that I did not see coming again at the beginning of the offseason. Uh, Trevor Story moving from shortstop to second. Going to let Xander Bogarts play short there, and he's going to move wherever they need him in the infield, possibly even the outfield in Boston. And my last um, transaction to go over in this segment will be a Colorado Rockies move. And it's not the only one that they've made because there's one more that Tony will mention in a minute. Ryan McMahon extended by Colorado six years 70 million dollars honestly a really good move by Colorado but they don't I don't really see a future for them so why would they sign somebody to an extension who knows but granted if he wants to put up a uh eye-popping numbers in Colorado for six years by all means do that Ryan all right folks we have ourselves what I like to call an uno reverse card from our Andrew Miller retiring segment in major headlines because uh, we have a player who's unretiring. Uh, if you remember, I believe it was two episodes ago, we broke the news that longtime MLB pitcher Oliver Perez would be hanging up the cleats. Uh, he decided against that because he wants to beat the ever-loving sh- out of Father Time some more. He signs with Arizona on a non-roster deal, although they he'll probably make the team in a very low-leverage situation. I believe Tari Lovello actually said that. So, good for Perez. Let that let that train keep going, man. Another reliever in the western part of the United States, this time in the American League, Sergio Romo signs a deal with Seattle. He'll be a Mariner for one year at $2 million. Seattle has a very sneaky good bullpen, and it just got a little sneakier and a little better. So, good on you, Mariners. Uh, last trade we're going to talk about in this segment. Uh, this one, kind of a head-scratcher, but still, I, I think there's a pretty clear... Or not pretty clear, but... Pretty good benefits on both sides. Toronto sent outfielder Randall Gritchick to Mile High Denver to play for the Rockies, and in return, the Rockies gave Toronto Rymel Tapia and minor leaguer Adrian Pinto. Uh, and Colorado also gets cash uh, to help pay for Gritchick's ridiculous contract. Uh, I'll probably talk about that one later. But we actually have two more moves, and I lied before, folks. These are my two favorite moves in the offseason. First of all, 
a whole five minutes before we started recording, every Pittsburgh Pirates fan's favorite pitcher, Chris Archer, is on his way to the Twin Cities. Uh, I believe it's one year. I'm looking up the financial details right now. Uh, it's believed to be $3.5 million. Uh, to quote Tom before we started recording, why would you give more than $3 million to Chris Archer? Uh, he also has a $10 million mutual option for next year, which if they pick that up, oh my god. Uh, I believe he also has incentives as well. But my actual favorite move, easily my favorite move. Tom, I'm very surprised you didn't put this on the list after the Trevor Story one because these two deals go hand in hand. It perfectly surmises the Yankees offseason when just minutes after Trevor Story went to their most hated rival, they signed known superstar and titan of the game Marwin Gonzalez to a minor league deal. I remember waking up and seeing two Twitter notifications. Story to the Red Sox, Marwin Gonzalez to the Yankees. I literally threw my head back down on the pillow and passed out for five minutes because I prayed I was dreaming. Wrong infielder! So, do it again! <laughs> Maybe I read that wrong. <laughs> so, that does it. That is every single offseason move that has happened so far. That doesn't mean it's the very last one because, mind you, there's still guys like Michael Conforto who remain unsigned. And who knows, the teams could still have a trade left in their bones somewhere. I'm starting to lose hope that it's the New York Yankees, but... What can I say? I lost hope years ago. Um, so yeah, as of March 28th, that is the last transaction. Uh, Tom, let's go back up this list. Which deal do you want to go over first? Because we have quite a few big ones. Let's start with a juicy deal. And I'm just going to throw it right to you because I've tried to say the sentence four times and I don't want to say a fifth. Chris Bryant to the Colorado Rockies. Mind-boggling deal. Seven years, $182 million with a no-trade clause. What are your thoughts? Because I certainly don't have many because I've tried to speak too many sentences and couldn't get through them all. But that will not be in the episode. Happens to the best of us, especially when talking about a team as weird as the Colorado Rockies. Like, we crapped on the Rockies big time in the how after they scale. And for good reason. Traded Arenado for pennies. Lost Trevor's story for nothing. Literally nothing with the draft compensation pick now done and away with. And I do kind of want to revisit something that editor Tony said in last episode because Chris Bryant was actually the fourth deal I had to cover late. I had to put in the episode later. The Rockies... The Rockies don't have an organizational plan. At least that from where I'm standing, that's what it looks like. From where I'm standing, it looks like Dick Monford saw the massive backlash from folks who aren't even fans of division rivals, just fans all over baseball saying that the Rockies are a joke franchise, you know, their attendance numbers are going to plummet, and good for that. They don't pay their star players, and if they do, they don't build anything around them to have to keep them around long enough. They're organizationally run like a clown show, also known as a circus. <laughs> but, um, what strikes me the most about this is both the Bryant signing and the McMahon extension. Because this to me seems like, all right, this is Dick Monfort talking. He says, all right, I have to do damage control. Or it's this new GM that they have. I can't remember his name. Oh, that's going to kill me. I'll think of it later. I'll look it up later. But Dick Monfort basically said, oh, you know, everyone hates us now. We got to go into damage control. We have to build a, you know, a bigger, better team in order to, you know, make us look better in the eyes of Rockies fans and baseball fans as a whole. And <clears throat> he did that by... <clears throat> excuse me, by coughing into his hand repeatedly by signing Chris Bryant to, again, a very hefty, 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 hefty contract. Something that I actually found really interesting, a bit of a side tangent, but Tom and I both predicted Bryant to go to the Phillies. 
and it made the most sense. They needed a center fielder. Bryant predominantly played center field for them, which, good fit. Good fit for all avenues. Uh, Phillies didn't end up with Bryant, obviously. They ended up with Schwarber and Castellanos. Not exactly to Bryant's caliber of hitter, at least at all of their respective peaks. However, for those two hitters, those two hitters who very well could be all-stars this year, they're actually paying less for those two than Colorado's going to be pl uh, paying for Chris Bryant. That's just smart money management, and I don't have a lot of opportunities to give the Phillies credit for things because they don't give me things to give them credit for. That's one of them. That was a really smart approach to their offseason, but Chris Bryant is just a head-scratcher of a move because, I mean, I guess Bryant opened the door to padding his own stats. Maybe making the Hall of Fame is, you know, a dream of his, and he figures, oh, we're gonna go to hit 500 home runs. I got a Coors <laughs> Field. Larry Walker just made the Hall of Fame, so the Coors stigma is going away. Got, cross my fingers, Todd Helton will make it. Maybe I'll make it. <laughs> now, obviously, there's there's got to be more reasons to that. I'm not going to pretend like I know Chris Bryan and know that's his reason, because in all honesty, it's probably not. He's probably got his own reason that he chose Denver. You know, the stadium's beautiful. The city was probably appealing to him in some way. And to be fair, he's getting paid $182 million. It's hard to say no to that. Uh, it's definitely a weird move. I... I'm like you, Tom, I like the Ryan McMahon extension, but I don't know how he plans to surround Bryant with talent because Bryant is one of those players. All right, we got our guy. We locked him down long term and we're paying him big money. Step two is building around him. And I don't know how they could do that right now because there are two, possibly three teams in that division who are leaps and bounds better than they are. Although the one exception I will say, I don't want to give the Rockies credit but I'll give them the slightest, ever so tiniest benefit of the doubt. You remember when Manny Machado signed with the Padres, Tom? And everyone looked at him like, where, why the f*** are you going there? It's three, $300 million to play for nothing. You're never going to win anything there. And now, provided they get their together, they could be competing for the playoffs. And again, I still think the Colorado Rockies are one of the furthest teams from the playoffs in baseball, but I don't know. Maybe they believe in some of the guys in their farm system. Guys like Zach Veen and Ryan Rollison do look good, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. It's a very perplexing move, and I just, we're going to have to see where it leads them in the long term, because quite frankly, I think Bryant's going to waste away out in the Rockies. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to intervene with, Tony, <laughs> is that... Uh... Intervene, Zach Veen, I'm oh, sorry, minor league prospect oh, Jesus Huber. Christ. <laughs> I'll, I'll preemptively throw in a but um possibly into the I'll be here. recording. I'll be here all episode. Maybe I'll throw in Literally. like a maybe I'll throw in like a boo into the recording Ooh. just for that joke. Throw them both in. Just, <laughs> yeah, well, the well, Diamond Duo is filmed. The Diamond Duo is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, production value. We're gonna throw them at the same time and confuse our audience. Um, yeah, that's how I was gonna intervene. Uh, is what I was saying is, but at least when Manny Machado signed with the Padres. The Padres had one of the top farm systems in baseball, if I don't remember. Possibly even the top farm system in baseball at that point in time. Now they're just a miserable, rotting franchise that hopefully Bob Melvin can uh, steer the ship back around and make them look viable again, which would be good. Because um, I do have some stock in the San Diego Padres, a.k.a. I want to see them succeed. I ultimately would like to see the Colorado Rockies succeed, but I just don't see that happening at least in the short term. Again, maybe in the long term they have a better idea, but granted, Colorado doesn't necessarily have a great track record with signing people in free agency. I mean, this could maybe be a change of events, but short term they're not going to be winning. So what do you really have to do in the long term? I don't know. 
and they really got to figure out pitching or how to pitch rather in Colorado because they haven't been able to do that for their entire existence before they can even contemplate winning a World Series, which is obviously everyone's ultimate goal, um, or at least it should be. So Chris Bryant aside, let's move on to another deal, and we're going to stay in the NL West and briefly talk about Freddie Freeman. Now, I mentioned this earlier, and I want Tony's take on this. Do the Dodgers have the best lineup of all time? It's a questionable move because obviously there's some really historic teams that would probably give this Dodgers team a run for their money. Also, with how baseball has changed, the Dodgers probably have an upper hand in that department, a.k.a. people weren't necessarily throwing 100 miles per hour consistently back in the 1920s and 1930s. But... I think that's the ultimate discussion to have here with Freddie Freeman because the Dodgers really didn't do too much in the offseason besides signing Andrew Heaney and giving up many a home run now from that. Um, They lost quite a few players, but of course, they gained one of the top stars on the market like the Dodgers can always do. So again, I will ask the question, do the Dodgers have the best lineup of all time? I'm going to keep this answer as short as I can because this is a topic I feel like I could talk about for forever because I always have a, a mantra in my head. When comparing teams or players from vastly different eras, I don't like to put them against each other because people have the argument, oh, Babe Ruth can't be the greatest player of all time because he never saw a slider. Well, of course he never saw a slider. He couldn't see the slider. People didn't know how to throw sliders back then. So you got to compare them relative to their era. Like if you brought the 1920s Yankees into today, they'd all hit under 100. Pretty much guaranteed. So you have to think about which lineup at least in my eyes, you could think that way. It's it's not my job to tell you how to judge baseball players and baseball teams. The way I look at it is just how dominant they were relative to their era. And I thought of three teams when I saw you write this down. Or three, like, eras of teams. The aforementioned 1920s Yankees, the Big Red Machine of the 1970s, and the 90s Indians. So, just a little bit about all of them, and then I'll give my take really quick. 20s Yankees need no inter- introduction. Murderer's Row, Ruth, Garrick, Lazari, Ernie Combs, or Earl Combs, not Ernie Combs. <laughs> Simply one of the very best lineups ever. Two hitters with 1,200 OPS, uh, 1,200 OPS seasons multiple times. Babe Ruth and Lou Garrick, obviously. I- yeah, there's a reason why they're the go-to answer, and that's because, well, they tore the absolute out of the league for many, many years many years. The Big Red Machine was the Reds' teams from the 70s, highlighted by guys like Joe Morgan, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Davey Concepcion, uh, Tony Perez, etc., etc. Notice, obviously, I'm not talking about pitchers, we're just talking about lineups. Very dominant team in the National League. They were pretty... I think this is the team I associate more closely with the Dodgers, because they absolutely ran the National League back in the day, but they only ran away with two championships. Dodgers still need that second one, and <laughs> a legitimate one, under their belt. Uh, I'm not one of those Mickey Mouse guys. A championship, a championship's a championship, unless it's 2017. Either way, Big Red Machine, very good contender for the best of all time. One of the most well-rounded lineups of all time, too. And I threw the 90s Indians team in there just because they're a team that gets overlooked so much for how much they utterly owned the American League. You know, this is in the era before... It was kind of in that transition era before the 90s Yankees dynasty, but you had guys, Jim Tomey, uh, Omar Vizquel, Albert Bell, Sandy Alomar Jr., Kenny Lofton, some of the best hitters at their respective positions, 
You're also forgetting Manny Ramirez. Oh, yeah, and some kid from Brooklyn who might have been good at one point. I don't know. I've never heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely one of the best hitting lineups of all time, too. All these lineups have a weakness in some respect. I'm not going to intro the 20s or the 2020s Dodgers because you know who they are. The thing that almost puts me in favor of the Dodgers on paper, I I don't want to crown the Dodgers champions already because they haven't played together yet, at least with Freddie Freeman. The Dodgers don't look like they have a real weakness. Like, outside of Cody Bellinger, really. Because catcher, you've got Will Smith. First base is Freeman. Second base, you could put Muncie, and then Turner, and then other Turner. Betts and Pollock in the outfield. And you could put Chris Turner. Uh, Chris Turner. It's only two Turners on the Dodgers. Chris Taylor in center when Bellinger sucks at hitting again. So, I'm partial to the Dodgers on paper. Because those three aforementioned teams, again, they had holes. They still had their eight or nine guys that are, you know, your average hitters. So to speak, the Dodgers don't really have average hitters if you don't play Bellinger. They've got guys who are all at least a little above average. In my head, I'm still going to say it's the 20s Yankees just because how far ahead of the competition they were. Babe Ruth alone was outslugging entire teams. Couldn't happen today, obviously, but back in the day, they were just much more dominant than any other team ever was. So I'll wait on the Dodgers. I know it's kind of a cheap cop-out answer, but... End of the day, the fact that the Dodgers are in this conversation at all is very worthy of praise. Yeah, I would stick with the Yankees too. Maybe the best National League lineup of all time. I didn't throw that in the question. That could very much be in the conversation. But again, this team needs to run before they can start walking with the legends. Right now, I'm glad you brought up the Big Red Machine because if you didn't, I certainly would have. They're the best National League lineup, I think, of all time. I'm trying to remember any other team that was really dominant, at least in the National League, and I can't think of any. The Braves in the 90s, but they're more reliant on their rotation, I feel like, so I wouldn't necessarily put them in that conversation when we're talking about lineups. Interesting you brought up the Indians, but you do have a very good point because those are some juggernauts that they had in their lineup balanced all around the lineup, mind you, but they lost both World Series appearances, so I wouldn't necessarily put them very high in that conversation again i kind of gotta go with tony here with my own question the cop-out answer uh we'll have to wait and see but right now i'm gonna say no but they are very much in the discussion uh yankees still rule not just saying that because i'm a yankee fan but i'm just talking about the history of everything how much they've won so that is my two cents on that now let's do one more deal before we jump into our next major segment of the show. And let's talk about, of course, Carlos Correa going to the Minnesota Twins, because there's two different perspectives we can take about this. It's A, what the hell are the Twins doing? And B, why, Yankees? Why? But we're going to talk more about the Yankees coming up soon, so I'm going to reserve this purely to Minnesota Twins talk. You could say they made their lineup better. Obviously, with Carlos Correa, it's better than what they had last season, even with all their departures this offseason. They still need to pitch before I can even consider them a legitimate playoff threat. Being that they're in the AL Central and outside the White Sox, 2, 3, 4, and 5 are literally up for grabs by any team. They could easily be a playoff team and sneak in there based on the weakness of the AL Central, especially, again, with that added sixth team into the postseason. But my dream of four AL East teams in the postseason probably won't happen as much as I would love it to. So the Twins could sneak into the playoffs, but 
I think we explained this last episode, and I'm going to bring it up again. Correa signing now only for a short-term deal. To me, with the opt-out, says he's going to enter the market either next year or after the second year. I think next year, quite possibly. He'll just use this year to kind of say he can perform outside of Houston at an elite level, which obviously he will because he's Carlos Correa. Scott Boris is now his agent, which wasn't the case at the beginning of the offseason, so both of them can cash in next offseason with a much chunkier deal in a much weaker market. Again, at the beginning of this offseason, as I alluded to, he had a different agent, so they got a chunk of the change this time around. That wouldn't be the case in their next deal. And honestly, I wouldn't want to play for the Minnesota Twins long term. They have some decent prospects, but... um. I just think the way they're built right now, they need a lot more help if they want to be a long-term contender. They're in win-now mode, obviously, with Carlos Correa, but they ain't winning the division. They could win a wild-card spot, but I honestly don't believe they'd go very far even with that. We're talking about a playoff t- or a team that hasn't even won a playoff game in a very, very long time. So that's my two cents on that. Also, again, what were they thinking? Well, obviously, Carlos Correa. Who wouldn't want Carlos Correa? Their plans... I don't know if this was their plan from the beginning, but surely they've been rolling with it. I guess I'd give their offseason a W because they picked up Correa. They still have me shaking my head like the Colorado Rockies deal with Chris Bryant, but it could work out for them. But again, I don't even see them as a playoff team right now, to be honest. So it would still be a failure, especially if he didn't come back after one year. Here's the thing about the way the Twins are built. I'll make this quick. They're going to be very, very reliant on their young pitchers. At least that's what it looks like to me right now. I mean, unless they want the GOAT himself, Chris Archer, to shoulder the burden. (laughs) Their lineup, or not their lineup, their rotation is made up of Sonny Gray, Dylan Bundy, I guess Chris Archer now. Kenta Maeda's hurt. He's actually on 60-day IL. So with those three guys, these last two starting roles are going to have to be young guys. My go-to right now is going to be, I think it's going to be Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober. Two really good breakout candidates for next year. I particularly like Joe Ryan. He put on a show last year. I know I've talked about him on the show uh, before, so I'm not going to do it again. But if that pitching staff performs, which granted, I don't really like their chances if their ace is going to be Sonny Gray and an exiled Dylan Bundy from the hole that is the LA Angels. So I guess they're going to really try and round out. Again, they're going to bank on the young guys for pitching and for the offense. They have their spearhead now in Carlos Correa, and you also got to remember, with that offense, it's more well-rounded than you think. They're not an offensive juggernaut, but they still have Jorge Polanco, who is very underrated going into next year. I really love Polanco's game. They've got Byron Buxton in center field. If he stays healthy, I hate having to say that about players, but he's probably the most injury-prone player in the AL. Yes, I'm saying that with Stanton and Judge in the same league. If Buxton stays healthy, he's a game changer, especially you got him batting leadoff, you know, 30 steal potential with 40 home run pop. I love Buxton for next year if he stays healthy. Yankee castoffs Urshela and Sanchez. Sanchez, I am putting no stock into, but Urshela can be a real bounce back. And then you got a bopper like Miguel Sano carrying, you know, the cleanup spot. Some young hitters like Trevor Larnack and Alex Kirilov. The Twins are better built than I think people think. I'm with you, Tom. They're not going to compete this year in terms of a division title. I think the White Sox have that on lock right now. But the the moves they've made, they've got people scratching their heads, but when you look a little closer, I think they're better than people think. 
I'm going to be honest, I think they end up in roughly the same roughly the same spot now as the Tigers. Do I think they make the wild card? Probably not. Probably still prefer the Tigers over them. Both teams have piss poor bullpens, but I think I prefer Detroit a little bit more. I don't really think uh, Minnesota has that much depth outside of Taylor Rogers. I might just be missing someone, but Carlos Correa gives them just another armament to really push for that second place spot and maybe a wild card spot. And who knows if they do really well next year, Carlos Correa stays around. You bolster that bullpen and starting rotation, wait for the rookies to turn another corner. And then you got a contender. Who knows if the Minnesota twins are like a B bordering a level team for next season. I wouldn't be that surprised. Obviously, that depends on if this season goes well, but we'll see. All that is to say, I don't hate the Correa deal. I hate the Yankees for allowing it, but I don't hate it for Minnesota. I think it's honestly, I think it's honestly pretty good. Yeah, and something real quickly we're forgetting is the Twins were really, really good just two years ago. They had one bad year last year, laughably bad, but they were really, really good for a good couple of seasons. Of course, they couldn't get over the playoff hump of winning a single game, let alone a series. But yeah, they just need to balance out that pitching. They've got a really good offense, certainly the second best in the AL Central, if I do say so myself. But I mean, who knows? They just probably need a couple of trades, or I don't think they can really do many signings left to really improve this team, but they can certainly utilize the trade market. At the deadline, Sean Manaya and Frankie Montas should be there because apparent because why the Oakland A's still have them on their roster to this day, I don't know. I guess they figure they can get more value at the trade deadline, but even that's a little stupid to think that because they ain't going to be winning anything next year. Maybe a couple of games and... Uh, that's about it. But if they can, if somehow they got one or both of them, then I'd start taking this team a little bit more seriously. But until then, borderline wild card team. So yeah, overall, just one more thought on the Minnesota Twins. If I had to give them an off-season grade, really, I mean, they got Carlos Correa. I'll be generous and give them a B, but I was really leaning toward B-, minus. but I'm going to give them the Carlos Correa tax and bump them up to a B. Arguably, it could be a little bit lower, though. I mean, Tony, are we in agreement? I think I saw you shaking your head, so I think you might go a little bit lower, maybe even a little bit higher if you're that crazy. I was thinking, like, B+, if anything, like, B or B+, but honestly, I'm fine with giving them a B. Like you said, they're still, like, a pretty meh team, so to speak. Like, I know I just talked them up a bunch, but in retrospect, I still don't think they make the playoffs. I'm fine with giving them a B. We'll, we might end up eating those words later in the year if they either well overperform or way underperform, but for now, be it is. Which, come to think of it, why don't we just do that for a bunch of teams? Like, we got a bunch of teams lined up right here on the rundown as if this is a spur-of-the-moment decision. <laughs> and we have some of the most impactful teams of the offseason in both very good ways and very bad ways. So, why don't we just rattle off a couple of them really quick? We'll give each other, or we'll give each other, we'll give each other grades, yeah, on what, I don't know. We'll give the teams grades based on how they did, and uh, I'll kick it off, actually. I'll do the, what did we list here first? We actually listed the Mets first. We've talked about them a lot on the show, especially the episode where we brought on our good pal Eddie, so I'm going to make this pretty quick as they've been relatively quiet since the lockout. Uh, the Mets, I think, obviously had one of the better off seasons. They got in Max Scherzer, Mark Canna, Starling Marte, and Eduardo Escobar to go along with an already pretty good core. Oh, and Chris Bassett. Low-key, my favorite move of all of them outside of Scherzer. Uh, the Mets now look really good going into next year. 
granted that's the same every year they're gonna get like 80 90 or 89 to 90 projected wins and then perform under that somehow but this is purely based on offseason moves alone i i'm feeling bold i might give them an a just because they fixed what they needed to they have a pretty stacked outfield now and one of the better rotations in baseball i think for what the mets did i think it's worthy of praise maybe an a minus actually just because or actually i'll stick with a tom what do you think yeah i'm gonna stick with an a too that's the obvious answer if I didn't give them an A, I would sound crazy. And I, I'm not even going to lie. I would love to say, you know, the Mets didn't do this and that. They're a legitimate team. And granted, we've been saying that. I think we said that last year, too. We didn't have a show at this point last year. But I probably would have said the same thing then. Uh, just because they could have been an analyst threat. But obviously, they are in a much more impactful way this year. I give them an A. They will inevitably fall somehow. How? That's always the fun part. We'll stay tuned to find out. All right, let's just rip this band-aid off because we got to start with the next New York team, and that's, of course, the New York Yankees, a.k.a. the New York make-me-very-saddies. I couldn't think of a better uh, word that rhymed with Yankees to describe my depression for them. They've missed out on Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, pretty much any big-name free agent they could have possibly gotten, they didn't get. Now, what they did get was Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kainafalefa, they returned Anthony Rizzo, and they also got Ben Rortvet. They let go of Luke Voigt, Gio Urshela, Gary Sanchez. They did nothing really to improve the pitching, which was the high point last year, to be fair. But then again, with all their expectations of the offseason and a rising AL East, this is a very, very disappointing offseason, even if apparently the Yankees' plans weren't to get Correa or to get Story or Freeman and throw lousy money at them. They want to use that money to extend Aaron Judge and make other improvements, yada, yada, yada. Well, I don't really care because they still could have, they're the Yankees, they still could have spent the money if they really wanted to. This offseason, they did improve the defense, they did ultimately improve the team. I don't know if they did it enough. I'm going to give them a C. And that might be very conservative of me, but I think that's very fair in the long in the grand scheme of things. I'm going to be honest. I was in a very similar ballpark. I didn't want to give them an F because at least they did something. Tom, I got to tell you, I saw a tweet. I think it was after I think it was after the story deal. It was a tweet just naming off players: Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Corey Seager, Carlos Rodon, Trevor oh, Story, etc., yeah, etc. How did I forget about that? And at the, at, exactly at the very bottom, it says. Any one of these guys could have been Yankees, and yet none of them are. And that really pissed me off. Like, there's a thing in the Catholic Church called sins of omission. And they're sins through inactivity. Like, if you could have done something good but you didn't, that's a sin of omission. That is how I describe this Yankee offseason. It's not so much what they did, because low-key, I like Josh Donaldson. I like that they got rid of Gary Sanchez, and I like that they squared away the first baseman problem. I don't know if they chose the right first baseman, but we'll see. It's what they didn't do that pisses me off. For all their inactivity, I was honestly leaning C- because they've now allowed the cream of the crop in the American League to lap them. Twitter's not really over-exaggerating when they're calling them a fourth-place team. It's a real possibility, and as a Yankee fan, it's infuriating because you know they're not lacking in money or drive. They just don't know how to spend it properly. I could go on like this forever, but I'm just going to leave it at C- for not doing enough. So... Let's move on to our next team, and I really like the way we wrote this on the rundown, because we have a pair of five-alarm fires, folks. 
Let's start off with the Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas A's, who, let's just cut to the chase, they might as well be called the Oakland Fs, because that's what we're giving them. I'm not gonna pussyfoot around the bush. They f***ed up this offseason in every conceivable facet. I... We've, I've said this a million times, they're intentionally driving down fan interest to get to Las Vegas. Well, you did that. Congratulations, now all of baseball and your fan base hates you. Matt Olson, gone. Matt Chapman, gone. Chris Bassett, gone. Unopened bottles of liquor, gone. Montas and Manaya, probably gone. Oh my god, I don't even think they added anybody outside of the prospects they got through trading. And Tom actually brought this graphic up earlier. This was going around Twitter. The teams that spent the most and the least on players this offseason. Oakland came dead last with a grand total of zero dollars and zero cents. That is unheard of. People yell at the Yankees and Dodgers, oh, they spend so much, they're ruining baseball, it's so top-heavy. At least they're spending. At least they're simulating the baseball economy. Why aren't the A's ruining baseball? By doing absolutely nothing in the offseason. Aside from absolutely nuke their franchise. I This team pisses me off because I rooted for them two years ago. I loved Matt Olson. I loved Chris Bassett. I loved Frankie Montas. I mean, I still love Frankie Montas, but still. I don't really think this is going to be a toss-up F. Just S all around, F's in the chat, Oakland's dead. There's a genuine chance they finish dead last in that division, below the Angels. That's pathetic. So, I, this team makes me sad, and I'm not even an A's fan. Oh my god, I was laughing so hard when you started talking about the A's, because I'm pretty sure you made our sensor light up within a matter of three seconds, with at least <laughs> three expled, exp, explicit, f- expletives Not, expletives see expletives. i just made the sensor light up because i don't know the word expletives <laughs> i bet yeah no debate here if you spend zero money in the offseason that's absolutely unacceptable at least spend something to improve some sort of quality of life for your fans or just your team in general you're buying in the prospects but guess what half of them if probably not a majority of them won't even see the foot of light in the MLB, because that's just how prospects work. Of course, they're hit or miss, but right now, Oakland's just swinging and missing, like they will do a lot because they lost two of their best bats in the lineup. One last thing I wanted to add about the A's, and then we'll jump to our next team. Tom and I toyed with the idea of revisiting the how after they scale, just to see if any of them have changed. For the most part, none of them really did. Like, you can argue maybe, oh, maybe the Mets are in the top tier, maybe the Mariners are in the top tier. We didn't really think it was worth it. There was one team we uh, <laughs> we definitely need to move down because I believe, Tom, if memory serves, we put the A's in Do You Smell Smoke? And that was like, if they didn't trade their players. Well, yeah, now they traded their entire franchise. They're in Everything Is On Fire. Like, probably the cleanest Everything Is On Fire next to the Rockies and the D-backs. So congratulations, Oakland. You killed yourself in one off season. Now, that out of the way, Tom, please take us to our next team. <laughs> really quickly. I was going to, my stupid ass mind, I, what? when we were doing everything is on fire a while ago, I was going to make a stupid California wildfire joke, and I was Jesus. about to bring it up again here. <laughs> well, California certainly has many fires, and Oakland is certainly one of them. Oh and, my god. <laughs> it's even better because the angels are also in a piece of fire. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, god. Why is my mind so miserable? Oh my god. We're going god. to hell. <laughs> I, I already know I'm going to hell. My place is already written. Oh, yeah. 
let's go to the next team. Yes, next who, team. ironically enough, everything's also fire in there. Yes. All right. Tangents aside, let's go to another team that was already on a five alarm fire outside of the Oakland A's, and that's the accurately named on the rundown Cincinnati Reds. Not Cincinnati. No. They're the Cincinnati Reds. Now, honestly, their offseason's probably worthy of a D or a D plus, maybe even a C minus alone, um, with some of the moves that they've made uh, to quote unquote try and better themselves. But no, They're, everything's on fire. It's an F. They're directionless at the moment. They were directionless going into the offseason. Nobody knew what they would do. And now they're kind of, the way they they're are organizationally, they're not so great with their farm quite yet. So they don't really, can't really rely on that to make their team better now. And they still have some players there. Granted, they traded a couple of them, which honestly already cemented their place in F category. Uh, they traded some away. And they still have some there, like Luis Castillo being a big exclamation point on that roster. But yeah, Cincinnati, they're an F. They're directionless. They still are. I guess they're rebuilding. You can argue they're retooling all you want, but we all know their aspirations. It's to try and make some money and ultimately rebuild. But they did it in such a terrible way that they weren't barely even competitive over the past couple of years when they had a possibly good roster to run with. Easy F, no doubt in my mind. Another Oakland situation where they got their entire team to save a quick buck, and I mean, I guess with Cincinnati, you could at least say they're hoping for the future. The only thing I'm going to be watching this year is the starting rotation battle between Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. They both look really good, but I, I just find it funny that some Reds fans are defending this, like, oh, it's not, we're not taking, it's a retool. Define retool, because is retool getting rid of some of your best hitters and pitchers on your roster for next to nothing, almost? Like, if that's retooling, then I've been looking at this the wrong way, because this looks like an absolute nuking of a franchise, as I so aptly called it in the last episode. Yeah, just not much more to add when you let Wade Miley and Nick Castellanos go for nothing, and when you trade away Jesse Winker and an albeit struggling Eugenio Suarez, that's not really a tell that you're ready to compete. So, Joey Votto, good luck to you, man. You're such a good player and a good dude. You don't deserve this. I hope I hope you're next so you can at least get traded to a winning team for once in your career. But that's enough with the sad news. Let's go to a better team to talk about. And we're actually going to hop back to the American League, the American League East, to talk about my pick for the most improved American League team, and that's the Toronto Blue Jays. Anyone who felt even a little bit bad for Toronto last season for winning 91 games and not making the postseason... I was one of them, even though I'm a fan of a division rival. Yeah, you don't need to feel bad for them anymore. <laughs> when your offseason involves bringing in Kevin Gossman, Yusei Kikuchi, Matt Chapman, and signing Jose Barrios to an extension, you had a damn good offseason. Oh, and Ryan Tapia, who's low-key a really good addition for that Randall Gritchick contract. Everyone was going into the offseason going, oh man, how are the Blue Jays going to replace Marcus Semien and Robbie Ray? They were an integral part of their season last year. Yeah, you also you tend to forget the Jays also have Guerrero, Hernandez, Bichette, Barrios, again, just in-house, ready to go, with one of the more underrated bullpens in baseball, spearheaded by guys like Jordan Romano and Adam Simber. So, uh, oh, and Yimmy Garcia now? I, t to call the Jays improved... I honestly think is an understatement because they look like an American League powerhouse now. For the Jays, I think this is a pretty easy A. They've done a lot to improve their team. They're going to be an absolute force next season. 
And even if that means trampling on my precious Yankees on the way to Toronto dominance. Yeah, I'm going to give them an A, but I'm actually going to give them an A minus only because the guys that they've lost arguably still are going to leave a little bit of a sting. Even though they picked up Kevin Gossman and Matt Chapman, they still lost Marcus Semyon and Robbie Ray, a Cy Young winner and a top three candidate for the MVP. Matt Chapman sure as hell isn't a top three MVP candidate. He once was in his heyday in Oakland, but his hitting is so abysmal now that the, if the Blue Jays resurrect that, then so be it. Then that's a huge W. But Kevin Gossman also is not really Robbie Ray's level. If you remember, Kevin Gossman struggled in the second half of last season with the San Francisco Giants. So it's a little bit tough for me to give them a full A. However, the other moves that they've made and the still rising prospects such as Alec Manoa, who are going to be in that rotation, who's looking really good in spring training, by the way, ultimately are going to land them for me as an A-. minus. Although I do ultimately think they could be a favorite in the AL East, I would dare say they are the favorite in the AL East. Next team, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, this is going to be a little bit tough to grade, not because of, again, we already had a full-on conversation about them, so I'm going to keep my thoughts very mute and uh, brief, rather. Their lineup is still better than ever, but some of their addition or subtractions are going to hurt. For me, they get a B plus. Now that I'm saying that, I might put them in, I might second-guess that and say A category just because of, again, the surrounding lineup. You can argue they really didn't have to do too much in the offseason, but ultimately I think bringing in a couple more fresh faces could have helped them out. They returned Clayton Kershaw, great. They got Freddie Freeman, great. Maybe they could have maybe tinkered with the rotation a little bit, maybe even the bullpen just to slightly improve it, because if you look at a National League powerhouse such as the Braves, they just won the World Series, and they've added to their bullpen with even great arms, including Kenley Jansen, who's going to Atlanta from L.A., so a B-plus, I think, is a fair grade for the Dodgers, even though they're better than a B-plus, obviously, but that's their offseason I'm going to give them. I was toying with that idea, too, but a part of me wants to give them an A-minus. I, I feel like I'm going to settle on a B, just because they didn't do as much. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go A-minus by virtue of Andrew Friedman just saying, huh, I have the best lineup in baseball, arguably the best team in baseball, let me just casually go get another top 10 player of the game just for f***ing and giggles. The audacity, not, not audacity, but the gall of a team to just say, huh, we already have a team of all-stars. How about a former MVP? Just, just because. It's refreshing as a fan of a team who's, that doesn't like to spend, at least not as much as they used to. It's almost refreshing to see a team like that in the Dodgers, just to be like, huh, hey, it, we're just gonna buy him. I know people don't like that, but there's that, there's a certain element to chaos that I kind of love in that. It hurts seeing Freddie not in Atlanta. I really wish they found a way to work it out, but as I'll talk about later, I low-key think Atlanta got better. I'm going to give the Dodgers an A- minus just for, again, the virtue of, eh, screw it, let's just go get someone better, because our team is already pretty damn close to perfect. That being said, I'm going to give, actually, I might retract this later, the A-, minus, because I'm about to talk about a team that I think is getting slept on yet again. And that, folks, is the San Francisco Giants, because last year they were slept on the entire year despite winning, what was it, 107 games or something like that? Mm -hmm. And here they're being slept on because, oh, big brother over in L.A. got Freddie Freeman. Yeah, well, how do you feel about the Giants picking up Carlos Rodon, Alex Cobb, Matthew Boyd, uh, retaining Anthony DiScalafani and Alex Wood, and getting Jock Peterson as your 
Chris Bryan Band-Aid. I think it's pretty damn good. I really do. People don't talk about the Giants because they didn't go out and get, oh, one of the biggest names, you know, outside of Rodon, obviously, Carlos Rodon. They, again, are just getting overshadowed by L.A.'s star power. When, in all actuality, I really think San Francisco had a better offseason. Like, they did more to improve their team. I, I don't judge offseasons based on just how many free agents they signed. If that were the case, L.A. would get, like, a D because they only signed two guys, and one of them's Andrew Heaney. San Fran, I just think, had a more complete offseason. They retained that pitching rotation that won them 100 games. Jock Peterson is obviously no Chris Bryant, but he's still very much serviceable. I'm going to retroactively give the Giants, uh, excuse me, the Dodgers a B plus and the Giants an A because, or actually an A minus, A minus for the Giants because they had a really, really good offseason, just not the best. Yeah, I think organizationally, there's still some question marks. Again, is Joey Bart going to be the next Buster Posey or is he just going to be your run of the mill catcher or a different player than Buster Posey, but still very good? Or maybe he'll suck. We just don't know those things yet. All signs are pointing to him being pretty good, though. The additions, again, nothing too noteworthy outside of Chris or Chris Rodon. Carlos Rodon and uh, Jock Peterson. Again, organizationally, I'd probably give them a B or a B-plus right now just because there's still a lot of question marks. It's a tough team to project because you got players like Lamont Wade Jr., who you never know if they're going to be really, really good next year to the same extent that they were very good last year with San Francisco, but looking at their offseason, yeah, B+, plus, or rather an A-, minus. I think, is very fair. If they really believe in this team, then I think they made the good moves. They bolstered up that rotation. They didn't really have to do much with the bullpen. They got what they needed. They've plugged the hole with Chris Bryant. Obviously, it's not Chris Bryant-sized hole. They didn't fill it up entirely, but they got a really good bat in Jock Peterson. A-, minus. yeah, I think that could be fair. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go B+. Screw it. I'm going to say I'm going to give them the same Dodgers grade. I think they could have possibly gotten a better bat if they really needed it because of all those question marks. All right, who's next on the list? All right, we've got a bunch of teams that we still want to go over, and this one we can go over pretty quickly because we've talked at nauseum about them over the past over this past episode and last week for or last episode for sure, and that's the Philadelphia Phillies. Made some decent moves in, well, not really decent moves in the bullpen when you have Brad Hand, who's wishy-washy. But they really did improve that offense that arguably didn't need too, too much improvement. But ultimately, they really did do that. You got Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, probably another name that I'm forgetting from the last bunch of free agent roundups that we did. Right now, their defense already sucked. It's definitely didn't get any better by adding Nick Castellanos for sure. But just for the sentiment of they still need pitching help and they didn't do all too much to address it, really, I'm going to give them a B. I think that's a fair grade. Their offense will be one of the best in the National League on paper, but they still have a lot of work to do with the bullpen and a little bit of work to do with the rotation to make them a more comprehensive unit. I'm with you on B. I might have to give them a B- minus because as smart as the Schwarber and Castellano signings were, I mentioned earlier, both of them combined cost less than Chris Bryant. That's just smart. Their best bullpen arm they got was Corey Kniebel, who's okay, but they have him slated as their full-time closer. And their other two additions, Tom, you mentioned Brad Hand, and Mets legend Jerry's Familia. So, 
<laughs> yeah, it might not be as historically bad as it's been in the past two years, but it's certainly not going to be good. So I'll give him a B. I'll save them for the minus because I do really like Schwarber and Castellanos at a good bargain. So good job, Phillies. It could have been worse, but it also could have been a little better. Now, staying in the NL East, to my sweetheart team. Tom, your sweetheart team was the Brewers from last year. I am, you can call me a bandwagon all you want, but I started rooting for them long before they won the <laughs> World Series. I get to talk about the Braves, and I, A, A, A plus, honestly. I, honest to God, I don't think any other team in this offseason deserves an A plus with some of the moves they've made. I mean, the Freddie Freeman sweepstakes sucked for them, but I honestly think they improved with Matt Olson. He's younger, his defense is just as good, and his bat is, at, I think, at least comparable to Freddie. As he enters his prime, he might even supersede him. We'll see. It sucks to see Freddie go, but Matt Olson as a consolation prize, I'd take that 10 times out of 10. Oh, and can we also talk about the fact that they have the best rotation, not rotation, uh, bullpen in baseball with Kenley Jansen and Colin McHugh in the bullpen now? Yeah, Colin McHugh just had a career year, and Alex Anthopoulos said, <laughs> yoink, he's mine now. Bullpen now looks like Jansen, Smith, Minter, Matzik, Yates. They have Kirby Yates, by the way, and Colin McHugh. Best bullpen in baseball. You can't convince me otherwise. They're also paying Olsen, Albies, and Acuna, I think a total, less than, I think, again, less than Chris Bryant when it comes to AAV. So, yeah, no, I don't really think I need to explain all that much more. It's an A, uh, excuse me, an A+. The Braves are, come at me, the best team in baseball. Dodgers are really good, but... The Braves got that bullpen, and their rotation, I think, is comparable. It's close between one and two, but come at me, I think the Braves might be a little better. You said best team in baseball, and I gasped because of the Los Angeles Dodgers. However, on paper, they have the better team, at least a better lineup, but that Braves team, they can pitch with anybody with that bullpen. You know what they did? They had one of the best bullpens in baseball. They just said, you know what? We're going to add to our strength and make it the strongest bullpen in baseball. I can't really disagree with you with their offseason. They not they lost Freddie Friedman huge, especially in the clubhouse, but they got the best first baseman on the market with Matt Olson. A+. I gotta agree with you. I rarely would hand out an A+, but ain't no stopping the Braves now. Could they be a repeat champion? That's always tough to predict because we haven't had a repeat champion since the Yankees of the 1990s into uh, the year 2000. It's very possible with their bullpen, though. I'm not going to bank on it, but who knows with the Braves at this point. A+. plus. All right, now we still could go through a few other teams, such as the Red Sox or the Angels, but we really don't feel like it because the Angels will always inevitably make us vomit and the Red Sox are a rival. I really don't want to talk about how much better they are than the New York Yankees right now. So let's end things with a mighty yeehaw! and go down to Texas to talk about the Rangers, who spent a half a billion dollars on two of the best players on the market this year, and Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. Will they be worthy of that money long-term? <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. With Corey Seager's injury history, I'd probably doubt it. With Marcus Semien being a little bit older than him, uh, I don't know if he can really replicate those MVP numbers he's been putting up over the past few years over the length of his, I think it's a seven- or eight-year contract. Um, but at any rate, they also made some other notable additions. John Gray is one. Mark Mitch Garver is another. Brad Miller, an underrated move by them. 
I think they have a top-half offense in the American League with those additions alone. Their pitching is still piss-poor, though, and they have a lot of work to do there. They have Jack Leiter there, but that doesn't count as an off-season move. So the Rangers right now, ultimately their weakness was pitching, and they didn't do too, too much to address it. But their offense, they sure as hell made a lot better, and their franchise now has some faces into their future to be faces of the franchise. I'm going to give them a solid B. It's kind of a boring grade to give, but I think it's fair. They ultimately improved their offense enough to where it kind of wanes out their pitching woes a little bit, because at least they'll be able to hit with most of the teams in the league. I'm going to counteract that point that their pitching was the weak point and say the whole team was the weak point. (laughs) That's very fair. Very fair. Outside of... Outside of first half, Adolis Garcia and Isaiah Kainer-Falefa, who did they even have? Uh, they had Brock Holt at third base. They had Joey Gallo, but he's gone oh, too. And and Joey Gallo, that's right. So the Rangers have learned nothing from the Alex Rodriguez con- uh, contract in terms of giving hundreds of millions of dollars to infielders. Maybe these ones will actually work out better for them. Who knows? Again, like Tom said, we'll have to wait and see. I'm leaning towards... I was going to say B-. minus. I feel bad. I've not given enough bad grades this offseason. But again, we only did a handful of teams. Trust me, if we threw another team in there like the Reds or the A's, you would see a couple Ds. Well, we, um, we already did that, Tony. We gave them Fs. Well, that's true. I meant like the A's and the Reds. Oh, haha. I, I didn't hear the like there. Haha. <laughs> now I'm stupid. <laughs> oh, could, you, could you imagine if we talked about the A's? No. But the Rangers, in all actuality, I think had a pretty good offseason. I'm just not that big a fan of how long and how expansive Semyon and uh, Seeker's contracts are. They're both due, or at least Semyon is definitely due to regress in that pitcher's friendly ballpark. I was leaning B minus, but I'm going to be like Tom and be boring. I'm going to say B, mostly because I really like the John Gray signing and Brad Miller. I'm 100% with you, Tom. Very underrated. Great utility bench guy for them. At least a lot better than Charlie Culberson and Brock Holt. So. Good job, Rangers. You didn't have a totally horrible offseason like you normally do. And with that being said, that is going to bring our offseason grade segment to a close. Again, we could have gone longer, but truth be told, the episode's getting long enough already. We're going to save the rest of our offseason grading and prediction having uh, segment for the next episode, i.e. the 2022 regular season opener. Holy cow crap i cannot wait just saying that gets me hyped and i can't believe opening day is just that close we are this close to regular season baseball again but before we get there we got one more segment for you folks and it is of course the closer as much as i wish we could end the offseason with a deep drive to left we didn't have one <laughs> uh, other than Castiano signing at Philadelphia, but that's that's a good thing for well, him, so I mean, it can't be a deep drive to left. I mean, techni- technically, <laughs> if we want to look at deep drives to left, we could talk about that, what happened the other night uh, or day, where Castellanos hit a home run in the middle of the Toronto Blue Jays <laughs> broadcast when they were talking about their pitching coach's DUI, and then Castellanos <laughs> just casually nukes a bomb or he got a base hit or something like that. I, I mean, it was we... a hit. Okay, it, it was, was a hit, home run, but, but... Either, either way, it's... Still hilarious that that happened. I mean, not hilarious because DUI, but it's, I mean, come on. It's the Nick Castellanos meme. It it lives on an infamy. You know what? Maybe we'll even have a doom counter for Nick Castellanos going into the regular season. Who knows? Maybe that's something we'll plan on in the future. Or maybe I'll regret saying those words and we don't have it at all, but maybe they're in the works. Anyway, we've got closer. Tony. You're the captain of this ship. 
I will let you navigate it. So, this ship that Tom is referring to, sorry, I tried to go off the idiom, I completely botched it, but we are going to try something new and something fun for this regular season. The first regular season we're going to see through all the way, rather than just the tail end in September. We are starting, you might have seen this on social media if you follow us, we are starting a Diamond Duo Fantasy Baseball League. Now, what does this matter to you guys if you're not in it? Well, you're going to be kept in the loop. We are going to have 14 teams in the league. It's going to be done through Yahoo Fantasy. It'll be a categories league. And the draft, uh, by the time you're listening to this, is going to be in a few days. It's going to be on Friday, April 1st. No, I'm not kidding. It's on April Fool's Day. And... What we're going to try and do, again, if this doesn't happen, that's because Tom and I don't understand social media. We are going to do our best to live stream the draft for y'all. Again, we got 14 of our closest friends and listeners of the show, so that's going to be really, really fun. It's our first time doing it. It's actually my first time being commissioner of a league, so I'm half nervous, but other half really freaking excited because... I don't know, we haven't, we don't talk about fantasy sports on the podcast too much, but I was introduced, I think, two years ago, it was in the COVID season, I am in love with fantasy sports, particularly baseball and hockey, because those are my two sports. So yeah, you guys are going to be kept up to date, uh, the running idea for now is, you know, monthly updates, you know, hey, you know, here's the standings, here's who's doing really good, here's doing really bad, we might name drop the league every now and then, you know, if Tom and I are playing each other and I inevitably win, uh... Oh, you and Smack Talk is going win. to be had. Smack Listen, Talk Mr. is going Com- to be had. Listen, Mr. Commissioner, I still believe there could be corruption <laughs> that goes on in this I very I got the league. 13th pick. I, was, I got the 13th out of 14th pick. Listen, jackass, you didn't let me bring that up. <laughs> you interrupted my mojo flow. Flojo. Oh, mojo. Oh, going did I? There. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you even did I because I. Flojo. Yeah. Yeah, my flojo. Yeah, there you go. It's not even a word in the English language, and you interrupted it. But anyway, well, the... oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, the real interesting kicker that all of you great listeners of the show will love is that inevitably one of us, either Tony or I, Tony or I. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Tony or I. I. She's uh, me, Christ. actually. Huh. I think it's Tony or me, actually, because me, you're the object of the sentence. Yeah, Tony and I, but it's not and, so it's <laughs> me. Tony and me, basic grammar lesson, by the way. You don't only get to hear about b- baseball on the podcast, you ultimately get to hear a grammar lesson. So congratulations, universe. <laughs> Enjoy it. Tony or me will have a punishment at the end of the season. Whoever finishes in the worst position, even if... Even if one of us is, even if we both finish 13th and 14th respectively, one of us is still going to be punished, although inevitably it'll be both of a punishment for both Tony and I. Yeah, there we go. I got it that time. If we finish respectively at the bottom of the barrel. But I am a good fantasy sports player that I would at least like to imagine, so I doubt that will happen. I trust my drafting skills and my other skills to ultimately lead my team to domination. But that punishment... We don't know yet. Either Tony or me will determine that punishment at the end of the year, or the ultimate winner of the league will have a say in what that punishment will be. Now, of course, we're not going to do anything stupidly crazy that'll get us canceled 
or anything that's wildly inappropriate. But humiliation, of course, is always on the table. And naturally, the deciding process of who gets to dish out the punishment is going to be easy because it's going to be me and I'm going to win the league. So it's okay. It's okay. So you think. <laughs> yeah, something just dawned on me. What if we tie? Like, what if we get the same number of wins, losses, and points? Then what? Uh, well, you know, that would be a really funny coincidence. Now I think we both have to take a punishment. I was going to say, because I think unless we both miss the playoffs, there's no possibility of a tie. So, And if we both miss the playoffs, that's punishment worthy in and of itself, because I'm pretty sure I set the league to have eight playoff teams mm-hmm. out of 14. So only six are going to miss. If both of us miss it, I'd be amazed. Like, that's that's no strike against the folks we're in the league with. They're all a bunch of fine folks who know baseball just as well as we do. But we run a baseball podcast. If we don't do well, that looks bad on us. Yeah, that reflects poorly on the podcast. Include As the name of the podcast is Diamond Duo Fantasy Baseball League. So that would be really a shame if the Diamond Duo can't even finish in the top eight. But that's exactly. another discussion for another day. Speaking of other discussions for other days, we're about to have to wrap up this episode and talk to you guys and in the near future. Tony, do you have any parting words you would like to say about how you're going to lose in this fantasy league or just anything that comes to mind? Well, I can't wait to surprise everybody on Friday's draft when I absolutely dominate with the 13th overall pick. I can't believe I got 13, man. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, if, if anyone thinks it's rigged, I'm the commissioner, and I got 13th, so not rigged. Yeah, I have the third overall so. pick, by the way. It's also a Serpentine League, so if I pick third, then I'm not going to be picking yes. for a while, uh, just to clear the air there. Um, and we did do randomly who would be decided the draft order. We did an online wheel. It was Tony's wheel. He executed it himself. And, well, it's his own fault that he got 13th. His dumbassery got him there. Also, just random luck on the internet. I was going to say, I think I used up all my luck in my last league when I actually won. So we'll see. Maybe it'll transfer into the league itself, but we'll have to wait and see. Other than that, I've not got much else to say other than get hype, ladies and gentlemen. The regular season will be here sooner than you know it. Weekly uploads are going to be here sooner than you know it. And we cannot wait. Absolutely. But you will have to wait for the next edition of the Diamond Duo podcast because Episode 20 is over. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again for 500 listeners all throughout our entire podcast length. We couldn't be more thankful to you all for sticking with us. And until next time, have a great day, great night, whenever you're listening to this. Have a great whatever, everyone. Thanks again for listening, everyone. The regular season is coming up very soon. Get hype. We certainly are, and we're going to take that hype into our next episode of the Diamond Duo podcast. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back soon with some more baseball discussion. Adios.